when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps. So one thing that I know for sure is you cannot control change. It controls you. Chances are you're in one of two camps, those who embrace technology and those who are overwhelmed with all the change. Now, You may be, damn the torpedoes, I'm going to use my Franklin planner and my Palm Pilot or my blueberry thingy, and that's just who I am. Well, I want to try to help you understand what change matters and what may not matter when it comes to you and your business. My goal is to help you better understand how to embrace the benefits of these changes. Heck, you can always hire an assistant to deal with the technological changes that keep coming at you like stars in a hyperdrive Star Wars scene. So let's talk about communication and technology and how it changes rapidly. As I mentioned before, technology is consistently changing and the pace of change is also increasing. Not long ago, the jump from a one megapixel to two megapixel camera amazed us, but not as much as the jump from a two megapixel to a four megapixel. There also may be a jump in hardware technologies and tools that improve the images, like lens quality, image stabilization, and more. It's not just the camera hardware that matters but the entire digital ecosystem. Remember that as megapixels were doubling, so was the memory used in the phone to create, process, and store it. So let's look at hardware. Back in the 1990s, desktop computers were just starting to hit their stride. I bought one of the first affordable, relative term, digital audio systems to edit audio on computers versus tape. The computer cost around $3,000. The board and the software to process it were around $3,000. Then the hard drive to record, edit, and store the audio cost around $100 per megabit. Yep, a $300 meg hard drive cost around $3,000. Now digital audio eats up about 10 meg per stereo minute which means that a 300 meg drive would hold about 30 minutes of audio. Now, it could take about 10 minutes to record one 30-second commercial with multiple takes. Then, you want to add music and sound effects, and you have to mix it down and master to the final product. So, you had a choice to back up the files or delete them when you're done. That meant you needed another device with much bigger capabilities to back up and restore project files. Keep in mind, at the time, there was no cloud backups or CD-ROMs, DVDs, USB sticks, or other things that you might even laugh at seeing today. We were backing up to floppy disks, 
If you had the money, maybe a tape drive. Yes, we were using tape backup to back up the digital so we didn't have to edit on tape. Today, we take it for granted that every cell phone comes with a digital audio recorder with hardware and software to record, edit, and master hours of audio and or video. That software is included for free with the operating system. If you need something a little fancier, you can get something high-end for about $10 to $100 per year. That's an add-on app. In 2014, when I released my original Bacon book, Apple released the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. The base model included 16 gig of RAM with a max of 128. In 1990s hard drive dollars, that would have been about $160,000 of RAM alone. The cost of the entire phone with software and hardware that could run circles around my entire old digital audio editing system was only $1,000. Today in 2024, my iPhone 15 Pro Max cost about the same price, but offers 256 gigabytes of RAM up to one terabyte, which would be $10 million in 1990s hard drive storage money. That's $10 million just for the RAM and doesn't include the hardware, software, and other services for that $1,000, which I paid for that phone. Next, let's talk about software. It's not just hardware that's changing, it's software too. And the speed of change there is about to make hardware changes feel like the difference between prehistoric dinosaur periods. Back in the 1990s and early 2000s, most software was delivered in boxes. Even upgrades, which happened about once a year, required the delivery of a CD-ROM or DVD and a custom serial number to activate. Soon, we evolved to software being delivered through the cloud. An email would say, hey, the latest version's available to download and you could enter your serial number to access it and download the update. Since then, we've evolved from annual licensing and paid upgrades to mostly a monthly subscription model. That means upgrades happen all the time without much interaction from you. Now, all you have to do is turn on your computer and without you even knowing it, sometimes the latest and greatest software versions have been downloaded to your hard drive. More likely than not, you have no idea what's changed. No book comes with your updates, and there's nothing to instruct you on how to use the new version or what even's changed. Most of the time, there's not even an email or PDF that tells you what's new with version 6.5.3.2. What you're left with is instantaneous change. It's up to you to go to the company's website and search for the updated program information and find out what's new. Or maybe you can go to an industry website that quickly reviews what's changed in your program. The onus is no longer on the company to find and provide documentation on software updates. It's up to you to find them. Another consideration is that hardware and software work together as an ecosystem. As software evolves, you may need new hardware, and the hardware evolves, you may need new software. They work hand in glove. My last computer, a Mac Pro, trash can edition, if you know, you know, 
lasted 10 years before the hardware could no longer be upgraded and compatible with wireless and other software technologies. Artificial intelligence, or AI, also known as machine learning, will certainly change how fast changes happen. It may be partly because AI can rewrite its own code that manages the hardware, or it may even create completely new categories of hardware that adapts more often and faster. One thing I know is that software that can rewrite itself will totally up and how and what we do to make money. I promise to dig in more later, but just know that we are at the beginning phases of this, and by the time we're done with all my chapters of my book, many jobs, careers, and businesses could be upended and made obsolete by AI. Social media has been powered by AI for a long time. I hope I can help you differentiate between being part of a social media ecosystem and being part of a more significant social media world at large. Social media networks are foundationally built on AI. This applies to platforms like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, now called X, Pinterest, YouTube, and more. AI has been part of them for years in the form of algorithms that get to learn you and serve up content it expects you to like and respond to. The common complaint is how social media adds and removes features and controls overnight without any warning, or at least that you can see and remember. For some of you, change sucks, while others... It's exciting and you can't wait to get to the latest version. Herein lies the intrinsic problem. It's free. We didn't purchase anything. We didn't install anything. We just signed up and logged in. We certainly don't get the right to dictate functionality of free software. Although, some companies may welcome your user feedback via an AI chatbot. There's a reason these tools are free. Companies like Facebook offer you free functionality in exchange for your use of it and for the rights and ability to record information about you and how you use it and what interests you. The social media company then uses that information to sell you something. Or it may sell that information to third parties. Why? That company makes money off your data. Even if it looks and smells like a free lunch, you're basically a guinea pig in this world of new millennium marketing. Google was a pioneer of this info industry. It started as a project by some college students at Stanford in 1998. It's since built itself into a stable, low-cost-per-share, publicly-traded company and Google owns 70 to 95% of all search traffic in all forms of the internet. This model of giving you something for free so the provider can aggregate data in the form of cookies is prevalent across almost every website. Cookies are small codes written to your browser that allow companies to track where you go and feed you ads back via social media and more. Companies build up databases of what you do, what you like, where you are, what you're doing, 
and interpolate that against what your friends like, what you search for, and where you're going on the internet. People have no problem signing up for this free web service to explore the latest and greatest free thing, but how long can any business stay in business if they give away everything for free without getting something in return? So, by you giving all this free information, they make up the rules. Just so you know, you can't opt out of the internet. Some people want nothing to do with Facebook or other social media, but they use Google every day. They think that social is just an invasion of privacy, and they could care less about what people have for lunch or where they're going or what awards their kids are getting at school. They don't understand what the big deal is with social networking and just don't want to use it. What these people don't realize is that the train has long since left the depot. Every imaginable detail about your life, except those protected by law like credit card and medical histories, can be found on the internet. Your phone numbers, where you live, what you and your neighbors paid for your houses, and so much more. You know those cards you use in in-person stores? You know, rewards cards? cookies. Your credit card purchases are cookies. Even cookies you buy at Starbucks are cookies, although they may be tracked via the gift card that you got to Starbucks. People who think they can stay private by avoiding Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or X are kidding themselves. Refusing to look at or use social media sites or join social media networking will not protect your privacy. You may feel proud that you resisted the temptation to go where all those crazy people are going, but you only have two choices. Either you punch your ticket and ride the train, realizing that you're not in complete control of your destination, or stand back and watch as everybody else waves goodbye. I guarantee that as you sit in that train station watching millions of other people moving forward, you will end up second-guessing yourself. People who stubbornly hold on to the past are easy prey for mailing list or yellow page salespeople who convince them that their customers are just like them and would prefer to find them by looking through a printed book or checking their mailbox, rather than looking on the internet. They're holding on to their beliefs like Don Quixote in The Man of La Mancha. But no matter how much they want to resist, the rest of the world is forging ahead and leaving them behind. The internet is everywhere. It's in our computers, our phones, our coffee shops, our cars, our appliances, or anything else with a battery or an electronic plug, including electric plugs and light bulbs. You may respect and love the past, but change will not stop happening just because you ignore it. In the end, all you're doing is permitting yourself to be left behind. So, you wanna fight back? I'm not going to get up on a soapbox and preach from the bully pulpit about how you should avoid the sins of internet marketing in that world, but I am going to make a case that you should learn how to embrace it. 
While social media companies are all entangled in fighting for eyeballs and attention of audiences, I'm going to propose that you're fighting for those same people's hearts. For consumer business, it's been moving from retailing to e-tailing for quite a while, but not all business will be done online. But more and more probably will be. If you tried to ride the coattails of Amazon or Walmart, you'll be fighting a low price war that you just can't win. What you want to do is use social media to build the relationship between your customers and your business so they're not just making a purchase. For B2B business, online and offline marketing is very different than marketing a consumer business. Agencies and experts may try to squeeze B2B clients through a consumer hole. B2B businesses need to create awareness, then conversations. Consumer tactics are optimized for sales, which may sound attractive until you need repeat business. It's about nurture versus mind-numbing ads. So, it's not about you. It's about people choosing you. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. In today's reality, it's not you choosing the customer, advocate, or power partner. They choose you. What you have to do is find a way to become more distinctive and memorable and top of mind. This is the power of social networking and social media. Getting you to that top of mind position and helping you stay there. You just have to learn how to leverage the tools in a way that creates and enhances business relationships. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon. <laughs>